The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. For those of you online, good morning and up in the balcony, good to see you. Hey, it's going to be a good day. I'm glad to be sharing God's word with you. What's up, Cody? Good to see you, man. Chase, where's Chase? Jason told me to tell you it was too loud. I don't, I don't know. Well, let's find Chase today and tell him it was a little too loud. Hey, we're in week three of Lent, the story of us. And I want to tell you a story. It was 2019, the year of our Lord. And we were at youth camp. Youth at IBC was away at camp. And the last night of camp, we like to have a prayer experience where we have different prayer stations for students to go around and pray in different ways. One of those ways we like to bring in the tradition of IBC, and that's the black cloth with the black markers that you see here, where you can write down things you want to give to God, whether it's a confession of sin or a burden that you're carrying. And you can write it uh, in community and anonymity before the Lord and give that to God. And what we'll do, do here at the end of the Lenten season is take this cloth and drape it over that cross here on the ground. And it's symbolism to say that Jesus carries our sin away on the cross. And so we wanted to do this at the prayer experience. And uh, we're getting ready for that night. And just a few minutes before, we realized we had the black marker. We don't have the black cloth. Great start. You can't write down your sins on a white cloth. Otherwise, everyone's going to see them. So we had to get the black cloth. And being resourceful as a youth pastor has to be. I said, hey, no problem. My bed sheet is black. I'll run back to the dorm, get my bed sheet. It's day four of camp. It's a little sweaty, but no problem. We'll just drape it over the communion table. They can ride out their sins. And later that night, it was a bit trippy. I went to bed on the sins of our youth, literally. Like reflecting, like, what is happening? This is so weird. But it reminded me of the season of Lent where we reflect on our sins. We reflect on our heart. Where is our heart? Where are we with God? Where we reflect and we repent, we turn from sin We turn to God. And in that reflection and repentance, we receive renewal from the inside out. This beautiful gift of the gospel that we truly can be set free, be healed and become like Christ to live life as he would live it. The reflection and repentance, we receive renewal. And my question as we start is what sin has so easily entangled you as of late? What sin has weighed you down? We're in the story of us where we're looking at the story of Israel like a mirror back at us to reflect our story, the human story. Who are we in the story of God and the human drama, the journey with Jesus? Where's our heart in all of this? And we see reflected in the story of Israel the way that we get caught in patterns and habits of sin that entangle us, weigh us down and trip us up. The story of Israel reflects the story of us here and now. And so today we're going to look in three parts, the story of Israel, the story of us, and then the story of Jesus, the way of Jesus together. What does he offer and his hope of the cross and resurrection? And so to set up our context, we're going to be in Isaiah 56 verses 9 through 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, And as we go there, I'm going to give you context for the story of Israel. You see, Isaiah was one of the great prophets. And this is one of the great books of the Old Testament because it tells uh, within itself the whole story of the Bible. Chapters 1 to 39, there's a lot of talk of judgment like classic prophets would do. But it's laced with hope because God is judging Israel for their covenant-breaking sins. But he's also saying, I have a promised hope, a Messiah. I will bring someone who will save you from this and renew all things. And so chapters 40 to 66 in Isaiah, which is where we're going to be today, the second half of the book, 
There's a different conversation. It's, uh, it dominates with hope. And God is showing us through uh, his redemption of how he's bringing Israel back into their identity, purpose, and call in the mission of God. So Isaiah 56 is in a really interesting spot. Uh, this chapter is, is in between uh, their exile as a people of God in Babylon. So they broke covenant relationship with God and God in judgment brought them into exile. But it was exile, not without hope. It was exile with hope. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna save you through this. I'm gonna call you back home. I'm gonna show you my true heart. But they're in Babylonian exile. And just a few weeks ago in our series, The Story of God, Pastor Barry taught about exile. And so if you wanna learn more about that, you can go listen to that sermon. But in this time, we heard about the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these, these faithful men who, who stayed faithful to God in the exile. How did they do that? They stayed faithful to God. But not every Israelite stayed faithful to God in the exile. In fact, this passage shows us what happened in the deceitful, corrupted hearts of the leaders of Israel. And also just later on in a few verses in chapter 57, the the hearts of the people. But as the leaders go, so the people go. And right here, we see what was happening with them. But they're under Babylonian exile, which means this. Babylon was trying to assimilate Israel, make them good Babylonians. But right here in this chapter, things are starting to shift where God is using the Persian king Cyrus to bring Israel back, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple for worship, to reestablish the covenant law. So we get books like Ezra and and Nehemiah, if you know those. And in this chapter, in between Babylon and Persia, in between becoming good Babylonians, Persia has a different way of going about it. They're not going to assimilate. They're going to accommodate. Y'all can do your worship of Yahweh stuff. We're still in control, though. Y'all do your little worship thing over there. You can rebuild, but we're still in power. And they had a different plan. So in between this lockdown of sorts in Babylon and this release into this new normal of sorts in Persia, in between, we see right here in this passage, habits that started to happen in the hearts of the leaders of Israel. How they gave themselves over to a lie. And what happened in the hearts of the leaders occurred in the hearts of the people. The story of Israel is the story of us. In between Babylon and Persia, here's what happened in the hearts of the leaders of Israel. Isaiah 56. Come all you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They're all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites and they never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. Week one in the story of us, we talked about forgetfulness, how we are prone to forget the goodness and faithfulness of God. Week two, we talked about autonomy. And man, you made it to church today. Week three, we're talking about indulgence. Everyone's like, yes, so glad. Post spring break, post St. Patty's Day, I'm talking about indulgence, gluttony, one of the great sins, right? And we see in this text, the indulgence, the leaders of Israel, how they love to sleep and to eat and be lazy, how they went their own way and how they said, let's just get our wine and our beer and let's fill up. Give me that good mall bag, nothing finer than a shiner. Let's fill up. Nothing better than a bullet. Because to 
today's great. Tomorrow will be like today and maybe even better. We can have even more. And we see here in between Babylon and Persia, these habits that became patterns that became a deformed character where they rejected God in his heart. They took his good gifts and made them things they twisted to satisfy their own desires. And they gave in an indulgence. And this indulgence dulled the sharpness of their purpose and mission and perspective in the world. They lost their sense of identity. They were dogs who loved to sleep and to eat. They were shepherds who loved to go their own way. They lost their purpose as the people of God to bring the blessing of God to all nations, to live a distinctly holy and different life that would show the life in the heart of God, to not become like the nations, but to live a holy set apart life. Israel's indulgence told their identity, their perspective and their purpose. They said, tomorrow's gonna be great. Maybe even better. We might even have more of the good stuff. And it's very opposite of what Psalm 90 says about time. Lord, teach us to, to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom, that we would see time correctly, that we might live wisely in the time we've been given. Israel's leaders indulged between Babylon and Persia. These habits became patterns. And I wonder for us, in between pandemic and now, what happened along the way? What habits that became patterns that started to form character occurred in you and in your heart? In between pre-pandemic, pandemic, and now, what have you done with your desires? How maybe have you and I indulged in what scripture calls the flesh, indulged our desires. You see, Isaiah 53, just a few chapters earlier, says this, that we like sheep have all gone astray. Each one of us has turned their own way. It was true of the story of Israel and it's true for the story of us. Between Babylon and Persia, between the pandemic and now, how have we like Israel gone astray? How have we allowed these coping mechanisms of things to meet pain, legitimate needs, trying to meet them in illegitimate ways become patterns that all of a sudden we, we sense that we're ensnared by them. We're entangled by them. Where have you indulged? What have you done with your pain? But I want to answer this question. Why do we indulge? Like, why do we do this? Why do we take a good gift of God and then through our desires, disordered desires, twist it into satisfying self, but it actually never really satisfies? Why do we do this with things like food and drink and sex and entertainment and relaxation? Why do we do this? Well, part and parcel is our context. We live in a culture of indulgence, in a society that when life gets hard, it says, get more. Get more of the things that you think will make you better. And that's one of the great lies of indulgence is that more is better and that more will make me feel better. If I can just get a little bit of more, a little bit more of that drink, a little bit more of that website, a little bit more of that food, I'll finally feel better. If I can just indulge on social media or intake of the news, I'll finally feel rightly ordered on the inside. That's the lie of indulgence. We live in a society that says when it gets hard, indulge. In the pandemic, alcohol sales went through the roof. Pornography use went through the roof. Binge eating, binge watching, all the things that we did that we normally do to try and cope just ramped up. Window shopping online, exorbitant spending, going into debt, just ramped up. 
And it happened very early and then it kind of tailed off in, in the middle of the pandemic. And now here we are. And I wonder what did that reveal about our hearts at the beginning and two plus years later, maybe how is that lingering? Maybe how does Jesus want to set you free today from that? Cornelius Plantinga says this, in an ego-centered culture, in a self-centered culture, wants become needs. The self replaces the soul and human life degenerates into the clamor of competing autobiographies. People get fascinated with how they feel and how they feel about how they feel. In such a culture and in the throes of such fascination, the self exists to be explored, indulged and expressed, but not disciplined or restrained. And that's the culture you and I swim in every day. A society of indulgence, a culture that says, don't restrain, don't deny, don't discipline the self, indulge. It'll make you feel good. It'll make you feel better, if only for a moment. We live in a society of indulgence, but we also, we look internal, we have desires to indulge. We have these disordered desires to indulge. The scripture talks about this, this struggle, this war between the flesh and the spirit. For those of us who are Christian, that internally the struggle in our discipleship to Jesus is this battle between our essentially coping mechanisms for life apart from God. The battle with the flesh. How can I get life somewhere other than God? The flesh pulls us in that direction. And the spirit working within us as believers in Christ, we've been united with Christ. We've been filled with his spirit. And he is working Christ's character into us. He's pulling us in a different direction. Come this way. Come to the way of Jesus, the way of truth, the way of life. And so this struggle of the flesh and the spirit speaks to this desire within to take the good gifts of God, twist them and try and satisfy ourselves with them. Good gifts of food and drink, good gifts of relationship, good gifts of time. The flesh uses and it destroys, but the spirit transforms and loves. And so today, as we move from the story of Israel, the story of us into the way of Jesus, what does Jesus say? How does he speak into this? What what does he desire for you and for me? He desires to transform us because he loves us. God loves you with an everlasting love and he does not want you to be stuck in pain and coping mechanisms that do not work. We cope because of a Society of indulgence, we indulge because of these disordered desires, the struggle within, and because we have these legitimate needs to cope with stress and crisis. And we did. And there are healthy ways and there are unhealthy ways. And there's a spectrum of how we've experienced that. But there's a, a tipping point where if you overly indulge, it starts to work itself back on you and entangle you in it. And that's where we get these cycles of addiction. And here's how it works. You have a pain and a crisis. And so you go to a thing to relieve the pain. But then you feel the stress about the way that you went to that thing to relieve the pain. And so now you're hurting again. So what do we do? We go back to the thing to try and cope. It's a cycle of coping with the thing that hurts you over and over and over. And Jesus says, I want to set you free from that. My death. It's for your life. And that's a cycle of death. Come with me on the way of life. Jesus wants to set you free from the things that are easily entangling you. One psychologist says, the way we cope with challenges is by dedicating our time and our energy to not cope with them. How do we cope? We don't. We don't. We try and not. 
But notice what Israel indulged in. All the things that Israel indulged in, or at least that, the, that, that God is calling out to the prophet Isaiah here, are all good things. Lying around and sleeping. Psalm 4.8 says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, cause me to dwell in safety. Psalm 127. He gives to his beloved sleep. It's a good thing. They just were lazy and kept sleeping and sleeping. There was this spirit of sloth. In addition, they were dreaming. Dreams aren't bad. God wants you to dream. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to envision a better future. In fact, Acts 2 says that when the spirit of God is poured out, that old men will dream dreams again. They were dreaming. They were just dreaming a little too much about themselves. They were enjoying food and drink. And Psalm 104 says that God gives wine to gladden the heart. He gives oil to shine the face. He gives bread to gladden the heart. All of these things were good things. They just took them too far. They twisted them and they indulged. They said more is better and more will make us better, more will make us feel better. And it just didn't. And so what have you done? What have I done with pain? Where have you indulged your desires? What are the strategies your flesh goes to in times of stress or crisis? What good thing have you recently used to escape your discomfort or to make you feel better about your circumstances? What does Jesus desire for you? If we have these struggles with disordered desires, Jesus has no struggle. He has a pure, holy, righteous desire for you and for me. So what does Jesus desire What is God going after in his people through the whole story of the scripture? God wants your heart. God wants your heart. And if God has your heart and he works by his spirit to align your desires with his, and we become like Jesus because we are spending time with Jesus and with Jesus people, we can actually live the life Jesus would live as if he were us because he filled us with his spirit. God is after your heart. And so these next words of Jesus will feel like harsh words, but they are words of invitation for your heart. He wants your heart back. He doesn't want it entangled and messed up with pain and coping mechanisms that just don't work. So here's what Jesus says. It says in Mark 8, 34 to 38, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory, the holy angels. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. 
And these feel like harsh words, but the denial that Jesus is talking about here goes deep and it helps us with the things, the good gifts that we indulge in. It helps us because the self he's talking about denying, he's not saying, hey, give up alcohol for Lent or chocolate for Lent. That is part of the process of saying no to the things that we indulge in. It's even deeper than that though. It's not just saying no to the good gifts. It's saying no to the self that disorderly desires to twist those good gifts into things that we think will satisfy and they don't. Say no to that self. Here's what Walter Brueggemann says about this self. He says, he's talking about coming to God, coming to see that God, the generous creator of good gifts is the center of your life. And that the self taken alone does not have resources or capacity to make a good life. To deny self means to recognize that I cannot be a self-starter, cannot be self-sufficient, cannot be self-made or self-securing. And that to try to do so will end in isolation, fear and greed. It will not work because we were not made that way. The alternative to self-focus is to move one's attention away from self, to know that our life is safely and well held by God who loves us more than we love ourselves and to relish the generosity of God. So to be free of the anxieties, needs, hungers of those who are driven by a mistaken and inadequate sense of self. Long quote, Here's what he's saying. God is so good. He wants you to deny the self that gets in the way of you experiencing and living into his goodness and relationship with him. Deny that self that overly indulges. Deny the self that wants to be the center point of life that everything else rotates around. No, let God take that place, his rightful place. And things will start to rightly order in your heart over time. Twisted desires, disordered desires, surrender to the spirit. Jesus desires become yours slowly and surely. Because we don't save ourselves. We don't change ourselves. Scripture says that Jesus saved us, that the spirit transforms us. We're, we're saved by him. We don't save ourselves. We're justified, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we don't change ourselves. The Holy Spirit is at work within you and within me. So what do we do? What did Jesus say? Ah, you don't got to save yourself. You don't have to change yourself. But you need to deny yourself. And take up your cross. The cross was a mechanism of death. And the cross feels like death. At the very point that you and I are unlike Christ. Right there. He says, take up your cross, follow me. And what was the journey with Jesus? He went all the way to the cross and he died. He was buried. He was resurrected to new life. What's our journey with Jesus? At every place that we're not like him, he says, take up, take up your cross. It'll, it'll feel like death at times to deny yourself, but it'll taste like life because life is on the other side of death in the story of scripture, in the story of Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus wants you to follow him, that your deepest desire, your new desire by the spirit is discipleship to Jesus, is to be with him, is to become like him because he loves you with an everlasting love and wants to set you free from the things that you go to and indulge in that just aren't working. Deny the self. 
Take up the cross. Follow Jesus. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says this. So then my dear friends, Paul's writing to the Philippian church with great joy in this church. And he says, just as you have I've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. So for us, not only in the, the good times, but also in the stressful times of crisis and post-crisis fallout. Continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence for the one bringing forth in you the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Who's working in you? God. What are you supposed to do? Work out your salvation. So how does that work? Am I saving myself? Am I changing myself by working out my salvation? No, you're responding to what God has started in you through Christ. You're responding to what the spirit is doing in you. That he's giving you the desire and the effort. You deny the self and you trust God. And you take the next step of obedience. Because he's giving you the power to do it. Self-control is not by the self. Self-control is by the spirit. That's why we love to pray here. Holy Spirit, I am weak, but you are strong. Be strong in me. Be strong in me. For God is the one bringing forth the desire, the effort. It's God at work in you. And that's a beautiful gift. Following Jesus means dying and rising again. This Lenten season, as we reflect on the story of Israel and the story of us, and we see the patterns that became deformative to our character, Jesus says, I can take those today. You can come with me today into the way of life. You don't got to carry that pain anymore. You don't got to hide it. You don't got to hold it. It's too heavy for you. Will you admit that your heart hurts? Will you admit and confess that your soul stings because of the way that we've indulged? Will you admit that your mind feels muddled? Just lost. I need clarity. I need focus. I surrender. I trust. For some of us, This will look like confessing sin to God and others, God for forgiveness, others in community for healing. For some of us, this will look like processing pain in community. We have recovery here that meets on Thursday nights, beautiful space to come with other broken, powerless people like me and like you to say, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this on my own. The ways I'm trying to satisfy the flesh and cope with the pain aren't working. Maybe for some of you this week, it might actually mean fasting your indulgence. Deny the self, but fast the indulgence. That might look like for an extended period of time, saying no to the very thing that you know right now, maybe the spirit of God is bringing up to you. I've gone here over and over trying to make myself feel better. And it does for a minute, but it doesn't last. For some of you, confession, for some of you, community and for others fasting for all of us obedience trust response to what the spirit of god is doing in you but notice what jesus says here as we close whoever wants whoever wants to be my disciple Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's a new, deeper, stronger desire. Who wants to follow me? You don't want that anymore. I deny the self and I want Christ because I see in the beauty of the cross, freedom. 
Because his grace is free. Forgiveness is free. You don't save yourself or change yourself. You just say yes to Jesus moment by moment every day. Jesus, set me free. Holy Spirit, help me. I need you. Whoever wants, do you want? Maybe today you've never followed Jesus and you're like, I want to. I'm done done with coping. I want a healthier way. I want a way of healing. Maybe today God's stirring that afresh in you to want to follow him. So I encourage you, man, wherever you're at, say yes. Yield to the spirit of God because Jesus says, when you follow me, I'm gonna lead you into life and life to the full. But coping mechanisms steal and kill and destroy from the inside out because that's what the enemy of your soul wants. He wants to take from you what God wants to give you. So what have you done with your pain? Where have you hidden out and tried to indulge? Where have you fallen to the lie that more is better and more will finally make you feel better? And it just isn't. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.